This is A Better Utopia, an audiobook podcast written and produced by Counter Culture Rebellion, read by the author. Dedication. Chapter 2 is dedicated to a Mr. Andrew Clavin, master of the multiverse and slayer of ease. You may never know what the impact of your show has done for me. For better or for worse, I guess we will have to find out. Really though, thank you. Your show has provided me great wisdom and helped me discover the passion of writing. Keep fighting the fight and running the race. Last time on A Better Utopia. Yulium arrives back to Boston to find a very different country that he left before the war. He also runs into an old friend and fellow soldier, Victor Rodriguez. After an eventful day of finding their next trip back home, the two old friends sit down for a nice meal and a cold beer, only to get thrusted into Boston's dangerous politics and a deadly bar brawl. As soon as the outside air hit my nose, I knew the world out here had changed since before I had entered the tavern. The air was filled with a wisp of gray smoke, and it smelt like tar and oil burning. The night sky was lit up a dingy orange color that reflected off the clouds. The sounds of yelling, possibly screaming, was coming from the distance. It seemed as though the world had been set ablaze, and the fire was coming our way. No one was present on the street, however, for six other black-hooded people. Two of them had just come out of the building a couple blocks down the street. The other four were loitering around a garbage can that had been set on fire near the side of the tavern. Brothers and sisters, said the snake man. He paused and spat out blood from his mouth, then dragged his sleeve across his face, leaving a shiny red streak on his arm. These men have assaulted me, but worse, they've assaulted the truth, the truth of our world and its oppression. Even worse, it seems, though they would wish to stand in our way and try to hold up their oppressors. He walked over to the fore and turned around to face us. The second Black Hood, who was in the tavern, walked into the street and whistled to the other two who had walked out of the building down the road. They began walking towards us. Well, Rodriguez, I whispered, looks like you finally managed to get us killed with that mouth of yours. He looked over at me, still glassy-eyed from the beer, and swore. "Uh, Guys, we gotta get out of here, Finnegan muttered. Really, Finnegan? What a great thought. That didn't even cross my mind. What's your next strategy, General? Rodriguez bit at him. Stay close to us, Finnegan. Don't let them split us up or we are dead. Looked at Rodriguez, who was visibly worried. You know the streets. Think we can outrun them? Why can't we just make a break for the inn? It's it's right across the street, whimpered Finnegan. Because, idiot. They know where we sleep and they'll come kill us there. Rodriguez snapped at him again. 
The snake man continued his speech during this. What shall we do with those who stand in our way of a better utopia? He lifted his hands to the sky as if he was a preacher delivering a soul-saving message. The rest of the Black Hoods around the fire chanted like deranged monks. Silence, a brute, destroy. Silence, a brute, destroy. Rodriguez, do you know if we can lose them in the alleyways? I whispered louder this time. I'm thinking, he replied. Well, think faster. The other Black Hoods are almost here and we'll be even more outnumbered. Rodriguez swore again. I'm trying, but my brain is all foggy from the Bia. The snake man continued. Hand me the crowbar, sister. He grabbed a rusty crowbar from a smaller figure in a black hood. He patted it against his hand and smiled at us, the way a snake would smile before he bit you. Now, gentlemen, I can forgive a punch the nose easily enough. However... You mock the true ideals of utopia. For that, you can kneel and beg for forgiveness or be crushed. Finnegan started to kneel, but Rodriguez ripped him up by the shoulder. We die on our feet, Finnegan, rather than kneel to them. But, but, they'll let us live if we do, cried Finnegan, a few tears starting to run down his cheeks. They will kill us either way, but at least on our feet we still are men, Rodriguez answered. This time I swore. I touched the outside of my pocket to make sure that my flip blade was still in it. Luckily, it was. The snake man and his black hooded monks started walking towards us slowly. The sounds of their boots hitting the pavement put chills on the back of my neck. It was going to be a fight, and instead of some silly bar fight where pride was the only thing on the line, this was going to be a fight to the death. Life was strange. Instead of dying in a bloody hellscape war on the other side of the world, I was going to die here in Boston, my home country. That seemed to be, well, slowly becoming a similar hellscape. Although I did not have the time to admire the tragic comedy of it all, I was just hoping to at least drag one of these demons down into the cold hand of death with me. My body began to tremble with adrenaline, and when the snake man stopped, three feet away from Rodriguez, that's when I started shaking. Finnegan, well, he had gone so pale, he looked already dead. Rodriguez, well, he somehow remained icy, like a man whose breath would freeze upon leaving his body. Then for five tense seconds, we all stood there staring at each other, waiting to see who was going to move first. The sounds of the trash can firing that crackled and popped, that was the only thing that filled the void. So, what shall it be? said the snake man, with dry blood still stuck to his face. Rodriguez took a deep breath and let it out slowly with a sigh. He then raised his right hand in an obscene gesture. I thought so. The snake man smiled with glee. He then quickly raised the crowbar and swung it at Rodriguez's head. Rodriguez reacted swiftly by throwing up his right hand and trying to catch this crowbar. Though he was fast enough to block the blow, he had overjudged it, and instead of hitting his hand, the crowbar snapped his wrist with a violent crack. 
Rodriguez reeled in pain and fell back a few steps with a loud swear that seemed to fill the night air like a storm. I was then off my feet, adrenaline pushing me to the edge as I swung my fist like a rocket shooting for the moon and connected with the snake man's throat with a meaty thump. His Adam's apple, I swear, bounced off the back of his neck bone. His eyes almost seemed to pop out of his head from the force. The snake man dropped the crowbar quickly, grasped his throat in great anguish. I stooped to grab it, but still feeling the effects of a beer, I accidentally kicked it away. Then out of nowhere, I was seeing stars. My guess was one of the black hooded monks had connected a decent kick to my head. I fell to the ground and barely rolled away as a kick grazed my ribcage. I then reached into my pocket and whipped out my knife blade. The blade springed open with a metallic click and I forced myself up and tried to shake the fog out of my head. Finnegan had grabbed the crowbar and was waving it around like a torch trying to beat back the dark. Although he didn't connect any of his blows with the dark hooded monks, it was effective in driving some of them back. Then a crack of Thunder filled the air as if the sky itself was splitting open and it was the second coming. The smell of gun smoke smacked me right in my nose. That's enough, yelled a deep familiar voice. I looked into the direction of the shout. It was Mr. Douglas pointing a revolver at the black hooded figures. He sat on top of a horse that looked just almost too small for the tall man. Though... He had a look of fire and fury in his eyes, as everyone else seemed to freeze in their place like violent statues. One of the tall hooded figures spoke in a gravelly voice that sounded strained. There are eight of us, and you only have five shots left in that six-shooter. You can't possibly take us all. Walk away. Let us finish cleansing the streets of these deplorables. And we will let you live the night. Douglas trained the revolver on the tall figure. You're right. I do only have five shots left. But you'll be the first one to receive one if you don't leave. Now pick up your friend and go. Douglas nodded his head in the direction of the snake man, Balaam, who was still on all fours, tears rolling down his face, gasping to breathe. The tall hooded figure paused for a short moment. He seemed to be thinking his options, then said, Come on, we can find them later and get our pound of flesh. He paused and looked down, and someone helped Balaam. Two of the hood figures picked up the snake man from under his arms, and they walked away. Finnegan, you sure have a way of finding trouble. Douglas gave Finnegan a steely look. What? Uh, no, I... Well, uh... You see, Finnegan stammered. Douglas's mouth curved up ever so slightly that you'd have to pay attention to see that he was a bit amused. You boys okay? We have to get a move on and round up the rest of our group. The Utopians seem to be riding pretty rough tonight, and the boss thinks they are pushing to take over the city, and he doesn't want to find out if they're successful tomorrow morning. Rodriguez talked through gritted teeth. I'm all right to talk, but I need someone or something to split my wrist. Ugh, pretty sure it's broken. He held up his arm with the other hand. Even in the low light of the street, his wrist looked horrible. Douglas let out a whistle. 
Yeah, that sure as hell is broken. Let's get you to the end and find something out there. Hey, uh, Mr. Douglas, thank you, I said, looking up at the big man. He looked down from his horse and smiled. I was just looking for an excuse to shoot one of them. Unfortunately, they did not give me that one. The inside of the inn was chaotic, not as bad as the city, but the panic had fully arrived in here. Like rats trying to jump a seeking ship, men and women ran around trying to gather their belongings in a frenzy. The innkeeper, who was an older man with glasses that made him look like an owl and a wire wisp of hair fluttering about, was trying in vain to get people to calm down. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain calm. He did his best to yell over the noise, but it was barely audible in the chaos. I'm sure the proper authorities are handling this situation. Just calmly return to your rooms. Everyone, listen up. Douglas's deep voice boomed through the room like a wrecking ball. It seemed to freeze everyone in their place. It would be best if everyone leaves, but do so in a calm fashion. If you panic, you all end up just trampling each other. You still have time. Enough time to grab your essentials and leave, but just the essentials, mind you. Also, if you're in the group that's headed to Salt Lake, be outside with what you need in five minutes. Upon hearing that, the crowd of people, still in a panic, but more orderly than before, continue to gather their things. Sir, the owl-looking man turned to Douglas. His green eyes magnified as big as billboard balls and blinking steadily as if trying to focus. I'm sure the police are handling things just fine. We had a protest in the streets here by those hooligans for eight months now. And every time they chant a bit and smash a few windows, but, you know, maybe start a fire. And, uh, but it always fizzles out by dawn. The police keep them contained to the, the, the North Market area and, and, and the slums. I highly doubt it would make it this far. Douglas raised a knife a brow. First off, whatever that is out there, that's no protest. Secondly, they're already trashing and looting both the East and the West Market area. They also have set the courthouse on fire and have beaten several people in the streets. The police lines are fragmented. And finally, they are pushing this way through what little police presence remains towards us at this very moment. The owl man stopped and blinked and gulped a large lump down his throat. Oh, my. He placed a hand on his head and looked as though he may faint. Finnegan, get this man a chair. Douglas boomed again. Finnegan went behind the reception desk and tried to pull the chair out from there. Although he battered it on the corner of the desk and the wall next to it, he eventually sat the chair down behind the old man. The old man flopped into the chair with a thud that sounded like a sack of potatoes hitting an old cellar floor. This is bad, he murmured. I've, I've poured everything into this place. 
It was supposed to be my retirement. If, if, if I lose this... He trailed off. Douglas looked down at the man in a way a concerned father would if his son had just lost his favorite toy. Sir, I know this is hard to take in, but you have to get up, pack up, and leave. You may lose this place, but don't lose your life over this place by being stubborn and staying here. The old man just sat there, staring into open space for a moment. He then pushed himself up without a word and headed to the room behind the reception desk. Ugh, not to be a baby, but I got to do something about this arm. It's killing me, Rodriguez grunted. In the commotion of everything, he had retreated to the wall by the door and was leaning on it for support. His face was very pale, and he had the gleam of cold sweat across it. Finnegan, head outside. There was an old wooden crate by the side of the inn. Get me two flat pieces of wood, the length of your forearm and about as wide, Douglas boomed. Finnegan turned almost as pale as Rodriguez upon hearing he would have to head back outside. Nevertheless, he went without protest. Douglas helped a wobbly Rodriguez sit into the now vacant chair. I ran upstairs to my room and pulled out two pillowcases from the beds. I took my flip knife out and cut the first pillowcase to where it made a long piece of cloth in the shape of a large rectangle. The other case I cut into fine strips. I then returned downstairs to see Finnegan had returned with the two pieces of wood and I placed the, the now swollen and red arm of Rodriguez between the two planks of wood. Leaving the bottom plank at the edge of the palm of Rodriguez's hand, I tied the cloth strips around the board to secure his arm and created a triangle sling out of the large rectangular cloth. I then placed Rodriguez's arm in the sling where his arm was sitting in front of his body and running perpendicular to the bottom of his ribcage. I then checked his fingers to make sure they were not numb and had blood flow by giving his fingers a gentle squeeze. Sometimes you can make your sling too tight and it can cause even more problems, like cutting off the blood flow, but this wasn't the case for Rodriguez. Sorry, man. I don't have anything for the pain. I looked in Rodriguez's eyes. They were still slightly glassy, but they showed no sign of shock. Nah, man, this helps. Thanks a lot, Rodriguez answered. When you grab your things, can you get his as well? Douglas asked. Yeah, I'll, I'll be right back, I answered, and quickly ran up the stairs. I could hear Finnegan behind me. I'll, I'll grab my stuff too, Finnegan said in his... Normal shaken voice, but more shaky than before. He was still pretty shaken from the night's events. You know, the color of his face was returning back. Though he was very fair skinned, so it was hard to tell if he had just been pale from fear or just from birth. Grabbing Rodriguez and my stuff was pretty easy, as we didn't even unpack before. The hard part was going to be carrying both oversized packs back down. When I picked up Rodriguez's pack from off the bed, a shiny metal object caught my eye that had been hidden underneath. I bent down and picked it up. The room was dim, but the light from the hall was enough to know what I was looking at. It was a small, one-shot pistol. Most guns and rifles use black powder cartridges and a cylinder to allow multiple shots. Most cylinders, or commonly called spindles, are preloaded so that you have to do is just swap out for a quick reload. This is what gave us the advantage over our enemies in the war. 
Our rifle could fire seven shots with a fast reload, while the other side had to reload a single shot. This gun, however, held only one round, which kept it very small and could be tucked in a waistband or a boot. Guessing from the design and shape, Rodriguez must have smuggled it back from the war. It had to be Prussian-made, and it was extremely beautiful. It had black steel barrel with a silver handle. The side of the barrel had a silver slide that would open up and allow you to load it. The grip was a dark stained wood of some kind, possibly oak, with a pearl plate on the center of it. Upon opening the slide and looking in the chamber, it was loaded. Lead bullet, powder pouch, and primer cap, all ready to go. Just pull the hammer back and squeeze the trigger. I closed the slide and carried our stuff downstairs. Rodrigo was still sitting on the chair, however, it looked as though he was recovering from his pain very well. When he saw me, he stood up and smiled. Thanks, brother. I can carry it from here. Just help me get it on my back. He said, turning around and pointing with his good hand at his back. You sure, man? I, I can carry it. Nah, you better put it on me. We may be in another fight, just trying to get out of here and... Well, you being loaded down with two packs ain't a good idea. I helped him put the strap on his good arm and hoisted it on his back. Then I pulled the shiny black pistol out from my pocket and handed it to him. Nice little souvenir, I said with a sly grin. Ah, I almost forgot I had that. He replied, matching my grin even bigger. He tucked it into his pocket. A little present I picked up for my little nephew. And by picked up you mean off a dead... Bolshevik officer. Rodriguez's smile spit his whole face now. Yeah, but maybe leave that pot out for my sister, you know. Don't want her hearing it as I'm giving it to him. Outside was even more chaotic than when we left it. The coming Armageddon had not fully reached here, but judging from the sound and the bright orange sky, the riots were close. The city, which was empty before now, had people running, horses panicking, and a barrel of something foul that had spilled all over the road. Not far from the door, I could hear the one-eyed man, known as Leslie, talking very loud to a group of people. There, besides Leslie, was a giant of a man, who I quickly recognized as Douglas with Finnegan in tow behind him, like a child hiding behind his mother when his father was scolding him. And if we take you and your sisters, what do you guys bring to the table? Leslie said, not shouting, but his voice oddly enough carried through the panic. A man in his mid-twenties stood in a nice suit and tie. He had black hair and a five o'clock shadow that I could just barely see in the light of the street. My twin sister and I are magic weavers, us. We can manipulate metal, so we can do any repairs you need or want to do, sir. Leslie eyed the man. Most weavers can't repair tractors, and if they can, the repairs fall apart in a day or so. Magic ain't strong enough. Take the abuse these machines give out. The pots, the repairs, they need a blacksmith's touch. I assure you, sir, we are strong enough to make the repairs the last, the man said with a look of determination in his eyes. You ain't blood fueling, are you? I won't have anything to do with magic blood-wielding 
crazies. Leslie spit out a stream of tobacco out of his mouth. It hit the ground with that nasty, sickly splat it usually does. No, our, our magic is natural born and we don't blood bluff. Well, what about your younger sister? If she isn't, even is your sister. How is she going to earn her keep? Leslie pointed to the young woman. She was maybe a day over 21. Unlike her brother and sister who looked to be some sort of Irish descent, she was from some Asian background. She's adopted, the older sister said with a glare. She was a beautiful version of her brother, but her eyes were different. His were a gray, dull blue, but hers were a piercing ocean blue that could cut through a man. The brother placed a hand on his sister's shoulder and gave her a look as if to say, Okay, I got this. She then relaxed her glare, but only slightly. She will help in any way she can, the brother proclaimed. This ain't a stagecoach or a charity. I need people who can. Douglas spoke up. Boss, we don't have the people we thought we would. They're still missing. Ugh, probably still out with some holes or drinking in a tavern. Uh, how many do we have here ready to go? Ten, Douglas said with a grim face. Ten. That's half of what we had, and twenty was barely enough to keep the men going and keep a guard proper. Leslie swore, then spit out more tobacco spit. He then turned back to the brother. What's your name? Uh, Jacob Finley, sir, the brother said. This is my sister Rebecca, he pointed to his twin, and then, and Lilith, he gestured to his younger sibling. Can all three of you shoot? Leslie eyed Jacob like they were in a tense game of poker. Yes, sir. Shoot to kill, boy. Jacob hesitated for a moment. Yes or no? If you can't decide now, you and your family are useless to me. Yes, Jacob said quietly. What? Speak up, boy. We're in the middle of the apocalypse, and I'm hard of hearing. I, I said yes, Jacob yelled, visibly irritated, slightly red in the face. Good. Keep that fire in your gut. We'll need it. Leslie looked up at the old beat-up wagon, pulled by a team of four large horses that came clapping down the road. Well, it's about damn time, Leslie shouted. His face was turning more red this time than usual, which was odd. Ugh, yeah, sorry, the traffic was ridiculous. There was this flaming carriage that was blocking the road. Also, a lot of angry pedestrians out, oddly, said the driver with a sigh smile. He looked like a version of Leslie, only younger. Say, mid-40s, more attractive, and he still had both his eyes. Well... Did you get what I need? Leslie yelled. They were all out of personality and spare eyes, I'm afraid. The driver said this, this time with a huge grin across his face. Damn it, Lincoln, the world's falling around our ears, and you're making jokes? Did you get the guns? Leslie turned a shade so red that it bordered purple, royal purple. Yes, dear brother, Lincoln sighed. They're in the back. He got off his seat and hopped in the back of the wagon and pulled aside a tarp. Then he opened an old wooden crate marked UP Army and tossed the lid on the street below. All right, everyone, Leslie called out, his normal complexion returning very slowly. The Army would only give us up first-generation spindle rifles and pistols. They have a five-shot spindle in them. No safety, 
and you have to cock the hammer back after every shot so take that in the mind if we get into a bit of a tick we'll head down to the oil yard and retrieve our steam tractors lincoln you and uh leslie scanned the crowd he pointed to a hispanic woman the medic and the red hair goof uh what's his name leslie slapped his fingers in the air as if it would help him remember um me finnegan stepped out timidly from behind douglas yes you leslie shouted you two ride with lincoln lincoln since you're in the wagon you take the smaller roads back and avoid the riders meet us outside of foxborough in that place we camped last remember lincoln nodded his head and rolled his eyes the rest of you will split up with the other teamsters at the oil yard leslie then looked at rodriguez and myself gimpy his boyfriend there and the liability trio you're with me he then pointed at Jacob and his sisters, gave us all a glare. Let's go.